Scotty. How are you? Hi, Connie. I am great. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Let's talk about EVs for a second. Okay. I love you, EVs. Do you like EVs? I love EVs. I, I love them all, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that an EV recently won Motor Trends SUV of the Year Award? It's the Chevy Blazer EV. The Chevy Blazer won EV of, SUV of the Year. Yeah, and it's an EV. And it's an EV. The world is changing, isn't it? Absolutely. We're okay. starting to see more and more of these electric cars, electric vehicles win these top prizes. Yes. Why do you why do you think that is? Well, I think they're great cars. I, I think that's the bottom line. They're great cars. They are fun to drive, much to some people's surprise. They are fun to drive. They are still capable and um I want to say efficient, you know, but Really, that's the bottom line. They all still have great tech. Uh, mm -hmm. They are tech forward, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that one of the things that I do like about them is the technology is really fun. So if you are the kind of person who loves to get a new gadget, buying an electric car is like having a new gadget that you're going to have fun and discover for like probably at least a year, if not longer. Because there's the technology part of like the multimedia system and the driver feedback. But then there's also like learning to be a better driver, learning to be more efficient. I was just in a car. I was in an electric SUV, a Mercedes Benz uh, EQB last week. And in the EQB, there is a little screen that you can pop up in your selection on your driver information screen. There's a little counter that you can pop up and it shows you how many miles you added back to your battery through your efficient driving. So if you're using the max regen, like pulling right. that paddle and using max regen, if you're driving it in eco mode, if you're you know, easing off of the accelerator enough so that you're really getting that uh, energy going back to the battery and it tells you in how many miles. So for a while I had eight and a half bonus miles <laughs> on my range. That's fantastic. And, uh, I like the way they phrase that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with the technology uh, set up the, the way that they're able to um, advance the technology with over the air updates to the car, they could actually add something like that a year down the road or they could update it or they could yeah. say, you know, you're getting more bonus miles now because we've made your battery more efficient mm -hmm. and tell you that through your dashboard rather mm -hmm. than trying to send you an email or do a social media campaign or something like that. They can just, uh, they can just update it. Yeah. And I love that. I love I that they're, able to do that. It's very I agree. Cool. I had an EV for a couple of years and one of our over the air updates overnight was a change to the backup camera. And it was not a hardware change. Like you would think something like that's a hardware change, like actual physical cameras, but the car already had all the cameras and sensors built in, but the software update allowed it to show us new camera angles just from a software update and over the air update. So when you say the tech is always changing, you might have, like you say, for a year or more, you're going to have new updates to your car on a regular ongoing basis. So you're constantly getting new functionality and updates that weren't there when you first bought it, which is wild. It is wild. And I think great because we're used to getting that with our phones and with our computers. 
And even with things like our TVs or our refrigerators, anything that's you know, connected to the internet and that can update will. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I didn't, I've got this thing on my phone. I didn't know I had that. And so when there, you have a, an issue with your car, something that you don't really like, you let the manufacturer know and the likelihood that it can be updated through an over-the-air update is pretty good. And that is, uh, that's something I really, I'm excited to have that ownership experience at some point when I buy a new car that has all these, uh, has this kind of technology. I have to get there. I have to get there. So I want to introduce, speaking of electric cars, our mm. guest this week is Jamie Brewer, who is a chief engineer for General Motors on their electrified vehicles. So if you have driven an electric car from GM since they've been building them, so since day one, Jamie has had something to do with that. And uh, she has um, impacted all elements of everything that GM does in electric cars as chief engineer. So Welcome to What Drives Her, the podcast that talks to women who are changing the automotive industry from the inside. Please welcome today's guest, Jamie Brewer. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Scotty. How are you? Good. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining us for what drives her. It's really exciting to have you with us. And if everyone doesn't know, Jamie is one of the people, one of the top people who's leading the electric vehicle charge in this country for General Motors. So Jamie, I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been a fan of your work for so long, literally, <laughs> literally a decade because going back to Chevy Volt, uh -huh. with a V, I will say when I heard about that car, my heart beat sped up. Um, the idea that we had uh, this entree to electric driving that had a comfort level just made me so happy. And then I actually saw the car and loved it even more. But I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead because I'm very excited about this conversation. Jamie, tell us uh, what your title is and then explain what you do, because I think that uh, the, t the word engineering in your titles uh, may be a little bit of a misnomer, misleading yeah. sort of average person. Yeah. So, um, so my current title is I'm the executive chief engineer for all of our battery electric trucks at General Motors. So that means products like the Hummer EV are under me, the Silverado EV, Sierra EV, and then we just... Um, announced and revealed in New York about a month and a half ago, the Escalade IQ, which we are all electric, kind of like Escalade, that's under me. And then um, as well as our Bright Drop, so our, our e-delivery vans are all under me as well. So um, what I do, I, I kind of am responsible for the overall pulling together of the vehicle, both from a technical engineering perspective, but also from a business perspective, a marketing perspective, a profitability perspective. So I'm responsible for making sure that the engineering teams, the, the engineering um, solutions that we come up with enable the profitability level of the vehicle, enable the customer expectations of the vehicle, enable our creative design team to design the most um, appealing vehicle 
that uh, that they can design and making sure from the business aspect that all of those different functions operate well together so that we have a winning vehicle in the market that also provides um, a, a level of profitability to the company that's expected. So engineering in this perspective really means bringing all of these things together so that they work on all the different levels that they need to not only function, but be great. Mm -hmm. um, and not so not so much like um, working with like computer chips and welds and things like that. I is... mean, I have um, teams under me that do that are do have that level of responsibility. And so it all kind of bubbles up to me. But um, on a day to day basis, no, I mean, I have a I have an amazing group of engineers that work under me that deal with the, the day to day technical aspects. And and I'll be honest, there's days where I, I find myself digging in because that's my comfort spot, right? That's my background is engineering. Mm -hmm. um, so it's fun for me sometimes to dig into the, you know, what is our weld density on this part and um, why is it that way and what do our crash results look like? But then I have to pull back and look more big picture um, at the overall business aspect of what we're doing too. So so you studied engineering in it school. Mm -hmm. And where'd you, go to, where'd you go to school? So I went to the University of Michigan. I got my degree in mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. And then I did go back later and get my MBA as well. So I have a business degree as well, but my my bachelor's degree um, is in mechanical engineering. So uh, I'm curious, why did you decide to get a um, master's of business? Um, I think is that, well, one thing, business has always uh, um, appealed to me as well. I've always had a, an interest in understanding um, how the work that you do from an engineering perspective, how the innovations and the technologies that we develop ultimately impact the overall economy, right? Mm -hmm. So business was always something that I had an interest in anyway. And as I started my career at GM and really started looking at um, what type of future career opportunities might I want to take advantage of, Things like a chief engineer role and executive chief engineer role really appealed to me as I watched those um, ahead of me in those roles. And so I felt like having a really good grasp on business, on marketing, on finance would only help me as I develop further in my career. And, and I found it to be a really good balance, having the background of engineering along with the, the background of business merged together has really, I think, helped me in my career. So that's interesting, looking sort of forward at what other people are, how they were getting to the roles that they wanted to, and kind of choosing the direction you wanted to go, kind of planning your path and seeing that that business degree would would help you get there. Yeah, but I will say there's also some people in my role, peers of mine that, that maybe have an engineering master's. So I don't think it's the only path. It was just the one that appealed to me the most. Um, like I said, I've always had an interest in, in my economics courses, even my government courses, right? And understanding lobbying and understanding tax law and just all those things that you learn in business school. Um, part of it is making sure that when you're going for advanced education that you that you're interested in what you're learning, right? To me, the, the best way to, um, to excel is to make sure that you're doing learning something that interests you. And and engineering has always interested me, but business has always interested me too. So it, it was a good combination for me. So when you when you decided to get out of high school and you go to college and you choose what you're going to major in, did you know you were going to major in engineering when you got I to I did. Um, when when I applied for college, I did, but it, I would say it, 
it was probably my junior year or so of high school when some of my um, professors or I guess teachers in high school sort of helped me understand that what I was interested in and what I was excelling in was basically the 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 grounds for an engineering degree right so i did i loved my calculus classes i loved my physics classes i took a um engineering i took a cad like a computer-aided design class i found that very interesting and it was really sort of my teachers that kind of brought it all together and said you know you have the skill set in the interest level to be good in engineering and so i did apply specifically to engineering programs um, when i when i did my college applications and um, were there a lot of women in engineering in college or were you sort of lonely? Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot uh, is a relative, right? Um, I uh, So interestingly, I have an identical twin sister and um, she is also an engineer and she also went to U of M engineering. So I, I sort of had a built-in um, study partner and built-in best friend and, and another woman um, in those engineering classes with me. So that was very helpful. And, and I did find other other really incredible women um, that were also doing engineering school at U of M. You know, it still needs to grow. I mean, I was still, I would say in the minority, mm -hmm. but um, honestly, after the first semester or so, I, you start to kind of um, forget that and just focus in on what you're studying, what you're learning. Um, pairing up with whoever you need to team up with, male or female, to do various class projects. And you kind of start to take the focus away from the fact that maybe you're in the minority from a demographic perspective in the class and just focus on the class. Yeah, you know, it's um, that's such good advice. I think a lot of young women um, kind of get caught up and they, am I going to be the only one? Mm -hmm. Or am I feeling intimidated uh, by the topic or intimidated by other people who are in these classes um, who seem to know a lot. And I think that's what, and I think keeping your head down and focusing on what it is that you want to do, it can be sometimes be distracting. So that's yes. kind of nice. Yeah. And so when you graduated, did you always want to work in automotive or was that, um, tell me how you got to automotive? Yeah, I, honestly, no. I mean, I, you know, I was not, you talk to some um, people in the automotive industry in my field and they they were, you know, they'll tell you about um, tearing down engines with their dad when they were 15 in their driveway and whatever. Um, that wasn't necessarily me. I was, I'm a more creative um, and inquisitive person by nature, but it wasn't necessarily focused on automotive. Um, what brought me to GM, honestly, was as I was doing all my interviewing, as I was doing, um, sort of looking at the various companies, I felt a connection to the recruiters and to the to the people at GM that I met with, that I interviewed with, that I talked with. And because I looked at a lot of different industries. And I think what appealed, why GM appealed to me, one, again, I, I just felt a connection from a cultural perspective to the people that were recruiting me into the, as they described sort of what a career path could look like. I think I also really enjoyed that because GM is so large, that um, there there was so many different things I could still work on finding sort of my place, right? Um, I could work in energy, I could work in noise and vibration, I could work in mind and handling, I could work in design, I could work in more business focused, right? There was so many different things I could work start working more in electrical and work on coding and work on software development, or I could stay very very. Um, mechanical and work on body structures. And so because I didn't know exactly yet where my passions were going to lead me, 
um, coming to a large company like GM with so much opportunity and so much opportunity to move around and find my spot was very appealing to me. Did you feel like uh, there was more opportunity at GM for women um, you know, coming into, I mean, I've talked to women who said, oh yeah, I was the only woman. And it, tell me what that was like. Um, Cause that can be a difficult, for a lot of people that can be a difficult thing to navigate. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I think one of the things that appealed to me with GM was the fact that they didn't um, focus on the fact that I was a woman. So I, I, I um, interviewed for another company that will remain nameless. And um, the, the interview was very much, they, they, they must have mentioned three or four times the fact that um, as a woman, I would do well in the field or as a woman, I would do well in that company. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, that was to, um, that really was a turnoff to me, right? Because my objective in life is to be the best engineer in the company, um, irrespective of my gender. And so when I was interviewing with a company that was so focused in on the fact that I was a woman, that concerned me because I, I don't want, um, my goal isn't to be the best female engineer. My goal is to be the best engineer. And so I, I didn't like that I was being um, siloed already or I was put, being put in a box already or I was being categorized already. Mm -hmm. And I never got that from anyone that I talked to at GM while I was going through recruiting. And so that actually appealed to me more because I thought, okay, I have the opportunity to prove myself as an engineer um, irrespective of gender. And that that appealed to me. That's great. That's great. I, and there's there are companies in this industry that are really great at bringing everybody along, <laughs> and then some that are not so great at it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about battery vehicles, battery, you know, electric car. We, we like to call them electric cars because um, vehicles a mouthful. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so let's talk about. But let's talk about this development. Um, what attracted you to working on electric cars? Gosh, it's I, um, it's the future, right? I mean, mm -hmm. um, if you really have a passion for engineering and you really have a passion for technology, you want to be at the forefront of what's next, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and battery electric vehicles is is the future, right? I mean, if you think about our industry right now, this is probably the the biggest time of change and evolution in the automotive industry in a hundred years, right? So. Yeah. And to be able to be at the forefront of that, and honestly, I mean, decisions that we're making are helping to set industry standards in certain cases, right? Mm -hmm. So to have the opportunity to work on something that's really at the forefront of an entire industry changing, I mean, that's just, uh, it's exciting, it's interesting. Not to mention that battery electric vehicles are just a lot of fun. Um, they're fun to drive they're maneuverable, they've got that low center of gravity, you can really, you can play with them a lot. And if you, again, if you have that passion for, for cars and trucks, um, that's just a fun area of the business to be in anyway. Yeah, and um, and you talked about the, the future, you know, future forward technology. Um, tell me some of the things that get you excited when it comes to electric vehicles or electric cars. That besides the powertrain, so yeah. thinking about some of the other technology that they enable, what yeah. what do you what excites you? Um, you know, again, as I was kind of saying that the 
the first of all, the the driving dynamics of an electric car, car is just phenomenal. It's, it's so much fun. But then you start looking at things like our autonomous technology that we're starting to put in, like our super cruise. If you've ever driven um, super cruise for with a, in a GM vehicle, the mm-hmm. level of capability of that system just continues to go up and up and up. And it's very natural to pair that technology with better electric vehicle because it's technology on top of technology on top of technology. If you look at our cruise vehicles, our um, cruise origin and some of our um, cruise products out there, um, we are pairing those with electric vehicles, right? So um, just that ability to, to build technology up on top of each other, I think has been incredible. And then as we're continuing to make electric vehicles more and more mainstream, it's really exciting to work on things like charging speed, energy density, how do you improve the range capability of the vehicle and pull the mass down and pull the cost down, the new battery technologies, the new battery chemistries that are being developed every single day. I mean, there's so many interesting startups out there that are constantly just um, looking at new types of battery chemistry and how can we increase our energy density, make the pack smaller, make the energy density higher, enable our ranges, charge faster, all of those things that we know that our customers are in the back of their mind, um, those are the things that a lot of our customers are just still waiting and watching and wanting to see before they make the jump from an internal combustion engine vehicle to, to a battery electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. The technology is just coming so fast. It's really exciting to be working on that. Where do you think um, battery, well, the battery powertrains or the batteries, I guess, themselves, where do you think we're going to sort of level out? And You know, we're on this curve. Where are we going to find that level of... Um, range and charge and charging time. Where do you think that's going to end? Or- well, I think that that is the most important thing, right? I think um, when we get to a point that you can charge your vehicle as fast as you can fill it up at a gas station, uh-huh. right? I think that's when the range anxiety starts to level out, and um, the size of the battery pack and the amount of range in the battery pack doesn't become the most critical factor anymore for customers mm-hmm. buying a vehicle, right? Because think about it, okay. if we were to shift the, the paradigm, right? And we were to say, it's always been electric vehicles. For the last hundred years, it's been electric vehicles. And now mm-hmm. we're gonna go to gas powered vehicles. So you've spent your life waking up every morning, your vehicle is plugged in in your garage or whatever. You wake up, you unplug it, you have a full range vehicle, you drive all day, you come back, you plug it in, maybe two or three times a year, you have to stop at a DC fast charger when you're on a, a road trip or something. Otherwise, just every morning you wake up and you've got a full a full tank of energy, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're going to move you to an internal combustion engine vehicle. And hey, about twice a week, you're going to have to stop off at this place called a gas station, get out of your car, rain, snow, what, wind, whatever, grab this really kind of nasty um, fuel pump who, who ever, you know, thousands of people have held on to that day, plug it in your vehicle. You're going to have this fossil fuel gushing in your vehicle. Sometimes it's going to drip down the side of your truck, you know, and you're going to have to do this a couple of times. People would look at us and say, you're crazy. We're not going to accept that shift. Right. So you have to change the narrative, I think, and get people comfortable with this being the new normal. I don't know. I mean, Going to the gas station is like my very favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love standing in blistering heat or driving snow yep. and get ruining my hair yep. and 
I mean, my dog, you know, yelping and sweating in the back seat because I have to turn the car off. You can't exactly. feel it while the car's running. You don't um, have to you know, turn honestly, the car off when you're charging it. <laughs> I, I, I could, if I could never go to a gas station again, that would be very happy. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Very happy. Let's go back and talk about the Volt a little bit because you were on the team that developed probably the most important, in my opinion, the most important electric vehicle because it broke through so many barriers. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say my heart's a little broken that the Volt is not still part of the lineup. But um, talk about what it was like to be a part of that team and creating this innovation that was the first of its kind ever seen. Now it is, you know, the plug-in hybrid is for many brands that the only way they're going to get their uh, get buyers to make that conversion right. over to electric. What was like? What was it like at that time? Yeah, it, it was super exciting. And I wasn't actually on the like the propulsion team. I wasn't on the battery team. Um, I was in the interior. Actually, mm -hmm. I was responsible for the seats on the Volt. But I got to sit in all of the the full program execution team meetings and just hear the conversations and hear the marketing um conversations around sort of the prospectus of where the industry was going and where customers were going and i think at that point in time doing an, an extended range electric vehicle like that I, th I think was just brilliant because it was still an electric drive vehicle right the the drive unit it was still electric the the wheels ran on on electricity um and then the the fuel tank was more the generator right and i think that the the way that they thought through that um, was brilliant because it gave us the opportunity to really learn about an electric drive vehicle, even though we had the extended range of the the fuel power generator. Um, and it was it was a phenomenal team. The leadership on the team, the chief engineer at the time, the executive chief engineer at the time. I spent a lot of time just watching and learning and listening. And I think I grew a lot as an engineer, but it also kind of started sparking my passion for, hey, I think I want to move into the program team side of the house and be a chief engineer one day, be an executive chief engineer one day, because of the fact that they got to um, not just work on engineering, but work with the marketing teams and the finance teams and the uh, the, the prospectus and look at the te future technology. To me, that's what sort of sparked my, okay, I think this might be where I wanna go in my career one day. Well, I'm so glad that you did because it's been, you know, it's just been one one very cool project after another since the Volt. Um, so talk a little bit about the most recent, the Cadillac IQ, yeah. and uh, you know, I'd love to know, I'd love to know um, what the 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 biggest challenge was with that, and what is your favorite, what makes you the happiest about that project. Yeah, so the Calic Escalade IQ, I mean, it's it's so exciting because it's our it's our first all electric full size SUV from Cadillac, um, and the Escalade is such a iconic name, right? It's such an iconic product. I mean, um, it was super super important to us as we were developing the Escalade IQ that the number one um, attribute was that it is the best Escalade we've ever done ever irrespective of drivetrain, right? So this has to be the best Cadillac Escalade in the history of Cadillac Escalades. And by the way, it's powered by an electric battery pack and electric drive unit. That I think was the number one most important um, challenge that we had to face was making sure that we did not in any way compromise 
what an escalate is in order to make it electric. And I feel like we've done that. I mean, if you look at it's absolutely gorgeous, first of all. Yeah. I really cannot um, give enough credit to our creative design organization for what they did from a design perspective. But when you drive it, it is absolutely an Escalade from a, from a comfort perspective, a seat comfort perspective, a riding dynamics perspective, riding handling, the noise, the, um, the road noise cancellation that we've gotten. I mean, it is quiet. Uh, and it is just a beautiful, fun vehicle to drive. And it's got 450 miles of range. Like what? Like it's crazy the type of range that they were able to enable in that vehicle, but still still provide all the um, creature comforts that are expected in a product like an Escalade. Yeah, and three rows. I mean, and three yeah. real full-size rows, <laughs> you know, no, no compromises is um, so important in our world right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And if you look at the executive second row seating, I mean, we have a variant that offers executive second row seating. It is truly executive seating. I mean, it so, is, yeah, it's, it's really yeah. incredible um, the way that we're able to, even in the second row, design the vehicle to be extremely customer centric and customer focused around even the second row passenger, which is what our customers have told us that they want in an Escalade if they were to pick that variant. So, so that's what we gave them. Mm -hmm. Well, I will tell you, I can't wait to, to drive it and um, spend time with it because I got to see it at the reveal and yeah. it is stunning. Congratulations. So aside of the executive seating, yeah. what's your favorite feature in the IQ, Escalade IQ? Um, I think, um, so I love rear steer. So our Cadillac Escalade IQ will come standard with four wheel steer. Um, and it's amazing how, how nimble and how small the vehicle can feel driving it. Um, when you have something like rear steer on a vehicle that size, right? You look at the vehicle and it, and it's a big vehicle. It is a big vehicle. And you think, how am I going to maneuver parking lots? How am I going to maneuver turnarounds or roundabouts or whatever? This vehicle, when you drive it because of, and I'm super impressed with the way that they've tuned in the four wheel steer, um, mm -hmm. you can maneuver it like a small sedan if you want to. And I just think it's so incredible that our team has been able to figure out how to give you the size and the spaciousness that our customers want with the maneuverability that they want all in the same package because before before we integrated that technology, it really wasn't possible. So that's probably one of my favorite. I just love driving it. It is really fun to drive. What was your favorite feature in the, um, the Hummer EV? Well, the Hummer EV also has um, four wheel steer, which is one of my favorites. But then the, the Watts to Freedom in the Hummer EV, I mean, that is just so fun. I mean, when you when you activate that mode, um, you know, I, I had my kids in the car and, and did Watts to Freedom once and they were just like, this is awesome. I mean, it's just, it's amazing because we're really leveraging the, the benefits of an electric drive unit, right? That that near instantaneous torque, you might as well take advantage of it. And when you go into so Watts ex to Freedom mode, Explain what Watts to Freedom is. It's basically full torque, full power, full voltage, full torque, right on acceleration. So it, it, it's like a launch mode. And when you get into it, you literally just launch off the starting line and it's just a, a full out acceleration. It's a lot of fun. In a safe space. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're not going to let it do this. Yeah. Somewhere where there's yeah. no other cars or walls. Exactly. Or we we yeah. expect yeah. our customers to be smart and follow yeah. all traffic laws. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's the Hummer. I have to say I spent uh, I spent a week with it and just was delighted every single day to discover all these cool things. There's so much that I'm sure I did not discover. And uh, so I hope I get a, the chance again sometime because it was a re it's a really fun, fun, fun truck. Um, so we've only got a couple of minutes. And so I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. Who inspired you in your career? Who is it that you've looked up to? Maybe who influenced you, inspired you, encouraged you? Um, you know, I think I've taken inspiration from a lot of leaders that I've worked for. But I, I also take inspiration, honestly, by looking down at the young women coming up below me, too because there's still, there's so much passion, there's so much enthusiasm, there's so much energy, there's so much um, anticipation, that, that is, that's really encouraging to me too. And I get very excited as I think about sort of the next generation. And as I see classrooms getting more and more full of women in the mathematics, in the STEM, in the physics areas. So um, I look around everywhere, but I think that you can be inspired not just from the people above you, but you can really be inspired by looking at who's coming up after you, because that gives you the motivation to be one of their inspirations going mm -hmm. forward, right? Right, to be your best, yeah. yeah and then, um, do you have children? I do, so I have a 17-year-old son, and mm -hmm. I have a 15-year-old daughter. So what do you want your kids to take away from your career? Um, I, I think what I want and, and what I am seeing is, so for my son, for example, um, a strong, independent, um, confident um, woman is normal to him, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing abnormal about seeing a woman in a position of authority. There's nothing abnormal normal about seeing a woman um, in a, a STEM um, technology leadership role. And so as he moves in through his life, um, I think that that's really important. That's how the narrative changes. That's how we stop having conversations around, oh, wow, there's a woman in this role, right? I, I can't wait for the day when there's no more articles about, wow, there's a woman in this role because it becomes so normal that it's not really worth the, the print, right? And right. so the more and more that our children and especially our sons start believing that that's just normal normal world the mm -hmm. less and less those articles will be written so that's that's what inspires me and then you know my daughter my daughter's um total opposite for me my daughter's all left-brained creative artistic um which is amazing too because it's not about making sure that women all go into stem it's making sure that all women believe that whatever their passion is it's an open path to that end goal Right. So for her, it's not that I want her to follow my footsteps and do engineering, but I want her to know that whatever her passion is, she has just as much of a right to pursue it as anyone else. And what does your sister do? So my twin sister, she also works at General Motors. Uh -huh. She is actually the president of GM Europe. Oh, wow. So she's in the okay. process of launching General Motors Europe right now from a business unit perspective. And actually, the first product that she will be selling in um, GM Europe is the Cadillac Lyric, which I was actually the chief engineer and the executive chief engineer for um, for, for the last five years. So it's really kind of exciting because I've sort of handed off um, my, my vehicle that has been sort of my baby over to her. And now she's 
she's launching it in that region as her first product. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Yeah. And you. did your parents intend to raise two automotive executives? Um, no, but my parents, so I have an older sister who is a lawyer and I have a younger sister that is a nurse. So all four of us, um, they had four daughters. They encouraged us to seek information, right? Mm -hmm. So they were, they were big, big proponents of education, big proponents of seeking knowledge and following that knowledge to wherever your passion took you. But they, they instilled in us what I'm trying to instill in, in my daughter and my son, um, that there are no boundaries to what you want to achieve in life, except your own willingness to work. Well, you certainly keep breaking down or finding finding new places where boundaries can be erased. And that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Jamie, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate it and excited to share your story with our audience. Thank you. Thank you, Scotty. It was a pleasure talking with you today. crazy is it that her twin sister is also an engineer number one i was blown away at that but then to find out her sister also works for gm in europe and has also a very senior role i was just blown away i thought wow that is that is super super cool of them both well it tells me that there's clearly either something in the water or something in their dna that makes them good at this but you're right uh, so many twins like you know, go the polar opposite direction of each other. And here they are both in the same industry. Pretty, pretty cool. Yes, I loved it. I thought that was a really, really neat uh, part of the story. I thought it was too. She had just so many cool things. I think, and I said it in the interview that she worked on Volt, which was, in my mind, the first time I saw the Chevy Volt, the first time I drove it, I thought, okay, the from from this moment forward, the world is different. And it was, it was, it was such a revolutionary car. And, and to, to know that she worked on that. Um, now her role was not engineering it, as she said, it was, uh, she worked on the seats, but you know, the, the team approach to charge every single person on the team with impacting the overall outcome, the overall experience of that car and the overall experience that the user will have, the driver will have, and um, overall things, goals like efficiency and um, fuel economy and things like that. It, the, every single person on the team was charged with that. And that's actually kind of an unusual way to work normally car companies, they work in these silos, these people work on brakes, and these people right. work on wheels, and these people work on, you know, whatever. And um, so it was a very different approach to building a car. You know, was there anything that that popped up in her conversation that you found to be um, maybe a little surprising? Yeah, so not about the vehicle necessarily, but just about the way she approached her uh, recruitment process and how her opinion is about women in engineering. And that was how the other uh, prospective employer was really focused on her being a woman engineer, where she said, and I, I don't, I'm probably going to get the quote wrong, but she said she didn't want to be a woman engineer. She wanted to be the best engineer she could be. And that wasn't to do with being a woman. And I loved that she said that GM never focused on the fact that she was a woman, that, that it was just that she was a good engineer, she was a fit. And 
And I love that, that she says that in the interview that that women now, and it's more so now, it's evolving constantly, but that engineers want to be great engineers. They don't want to be known as a woman engineer. You know, and it's it's so great to hear that because when when a woman says that, um, what that set what that tells us is that we are past the point of having to get into the room. Now we're competing against everyone in the room to be the best and or to do the job or to reach the goal that we've set for ourselves. And a generation ago, and I say a generation ago because it's really women who are maybe uh, 10 or 20 years ahead of Jamie in their careers, maybe even retired at this point, their goal was to get into the room and they opened the door for someone like Jamie, for so many women to now just be welcomed in and to be able to start at the same level as everyone else, as the men and everyone, to yeah. uh, to build their career. So that to hear her say that lets me know that we that inroads have been made. The evolution is continuing. I also think that um, it's great to hear her say that because in the in the prior generation, women had to get in the room, but they still had to do things the same way all the men did it. So if they didn't, if they tried to introduce new ideas or they tried to do things their way, they may not survive because the rules were written by the men and they had to follow the rules, right? But now women are writing the rules and they, along with everybody, I mean, you know, along with the men, but then they're able to bring their own insights to, you know, maybe the armrest should be um, a little higher for people who, or maybe it should be adjustable because we're not all the same size, or, you know, maybe um, there should be a good place to put a backpack or a handbag. So, right. you know, so they're able to bring more of that personal input to the equation of how we design and build our cars. And I think that was harder a generation ago. So uh, it makes me believe that cars are now more for us being women who buy yes. and, and drive these cars more for us than they ever were before. And that's a great thing. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. would you choose the Escalade electrified or the Lyric? Ooh. If you're choosing between two of the luxury GM uh, electric battery electric vehicle products. Well, that's a hard question. I, I think for me personally, right now where I am in my life, I would probably choose the Lyric, but if it was, you know, a decade ago and my kids were little and I needed a three row. And I, I do think the three row electric SUV is going to be like the race of the century yes. or the, the competition of the century. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think I would place my bets on which one's going to win on the Escalade. Yeah. I think that's going to be a hugely important because it's three rows Yes, and it's all Escalade. Yes. It's, it doesn't look as boxy as we're used to seeing the Escalade, but it is all. And I love how she said it's it's got to be the best Escalade, regardless of powertrain. It's got to be the best Escalade. I love yeah. that because it just yeah. goes to show there's um, just as much thought, and and I'm sure it's not just with this product or just with GM, but that there's more than just the powertrain going into electric vehicles. They want to make the best vehicle, not just an electric powertrain, but a whole a holistic approach to the to the entire vehicle. Well, they've got I will say GM is just on their game when it comes to certain things. The battery is phenomenal. 
The drive experience is great. Uh, Super Cruise is great. And then the way that they're thinking about the how the interior space is used, and not just in their electrics, but across their entire product line. Um, I feel like they have really spent a lot of time refining so much of that. And they're, you know, it's funny, they're such a big car company. They're such a large automaker. They've relied in the past a lot on um, heavily discounting their product to so people would people who just felt like you know what I don't really need to spend that much I can buy this fill in the blank brand and spend less and now people are willing to spend more and they're really focusing on how do they deliver that for the you know deliver really great product for the money. Um, we'll see where the price shakes out, especially as more of these electrics hit the market. Um, and GM will have an advantage because they'll qualify for the tax, the federal tax credit in the United States. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a built-in advantage there. But I do feel like they've moved away from the the super discount end of the of the business, and they're really doing their best work. And it's such a good thing to see. I I wonder if that has anything to do with all the female leadership there. I think you might be right. <laughs> I think maybe so. All right, Connie, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us for our conversation with Jamie Brewer. This has been What Drives Her, the podcast that talks to women who are changing the automotive industry from the inside. What Drives Her is a production of A Girl's Guide to Cars. Myself, Scotty Reese, Connie Peters, edited by Stephanie Howard, music by Envato. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter. Join us over at agirlsguidetocars.com. Follow along on social media and join us again next time for what drives her. Thanks, everybody.